Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. So welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is my new friend, Jonathan Gibson. Jonathan, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, brother. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Yeah, it's great to great to have you. Can you uh, just tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and uh, a bit about any ministry projects that you're working on? Sure. Um, so I, uh, you called me Jonathan there, uh, but I generally go by John. I only, my mother calls me Jonathan. That's when I'm in trouble. Um, but, uh, yeah, so my name's Johnny married to Jackie, who's an Australian girl who I met when, uh, I lived in Australia, did my theological education there at uh, Moore theological college. Uh, we then moved from there to Cambridge for me to complete a PhD in Hebrew studies. And uh, during our time there, we had two children, Benjamin and Layla. Uh, very sadly, Layla died uh, now coming up five and a half years ago. She was a stillborn little girl, full term. Uh, so she's buried in Cambridge. So we still view Cambridge as home in many respects, even though we live here in Philadelphia. Uh, but since coming to America, the Lord's blessed us and expanded our family. We have a little boy, Zachary, who came in by adoption, and then a little girl, Hannah, who was safely delivered um, about two years ago. So four children, one in heaven waiting for us and three here. Uh, I teach Old Testament and Hebrew at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary here in Philadelphia. And I'm an ordained Presbyterian minister in the International Presbyterian Church in the UK. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I can I can certainly understand not calling you by your full name because uh, I do the same. Like, where is where's where's my mom? You know, whenever anybody calls me David, I'm like, oh boy. Um, <laughs> and the middle name is like, oh, I'm dead. Um, yeah. So I understand, Johnny. Thanks for thanks for that correction. Well, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your book, Be Thou My Vision, A Liturgy for Daily Worship, why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? So it came about during the uh, COVID lockdowns. Uh, we all went into lockdown, what, March 2020. And by about April, May, we we're all still in lockdown. And I started reflecting quite a bit on my own quiet times Um and uh, at the same time, uh, I became dissatisfied with them, thinking it's just very bland. I, I say a quick prayer for God to speak to me. I read my Bible and then I offer petitions. And about the same time, a friend uh, in Sydney, Mark Ernji, who I'd edited a book with before called Reformation Worship, Liturgies from the Past for the Present. Uh, he is an Anglican minister and he had been asked by his diocese in Sydney to put together a resource guide for families while church wasn't happening during the lockdown. And uh, he suggested that he and I work on something together that would help churches, maybe if there was another lockdown, and help individuals as well at home and families. Uh, so I said yes to it. And in the end, he had to drop out. And so I took the project on and it sort of took on a different form of what we initially discussed. But uh, that's where it's come from. 
I decided to have a look at how we could maybe order our quiet times, daily devotions, according to like a mini church service. So I started to write my own sort of seven day liturgy where I had a call to worship, a prayer of adoration, a uh, reading of the law, a confession of sin and assurance of pardon, then a catechism question um, or sorry, a creed. And I was cycling through the creeds, apostles, Nicene and Athanasian creed. Then after the creed, I put in the Gloria Patri or uh, the doxology, a little praise to God as the Trinity. And then um, a catechism question, started working through the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Shorter Catechism, followed by a prayer of illumination, read my Bible a chapter a day, and then uh, had a prayer of intercession. And then my own prayers followed by the Lord's Prayer. Now, maybe listeners hear that and think, whoa, I'm exhausted just listening to that. (laughs) Never mind trying to do it. But what I actually discovered, and what I should say is I used the prayers from all those four main prayers, adoration, confession, illumination, and intercession. I started um, digging them out from church history. So I was grabbing old prayers by Augustine, Ambrose, Bernard of Clairvaux, um, <clears throat> the Reformers, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, uh, uh, all the way up to Spurgeon and Wilberforce and John Wesley. So I started grabbing, culling church, these old prayers from church history and using them as my main four prayers, a bit like the Valley of Vision, which I'm sure most listeners are maybe familiar with, but I was putting it in a set liturgy each day. And I find that actually when I went through all of those elements, including a chapter of my Bible, it was only 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes, which, you know, I think is a reasonable time to be having a quiet time. The days I didn't have the time to do that, I would skip the the creeds and the confession and the catechism questions. Uh, but other than that, that was that was what I started doing. And I find myself more focused, more engaged, and the quiet time was less of a bland time with God and more a blessed time with him. So, yeah, it started off really as an experiment. And then having done seven days, I thought, how could you expand this into a month? And so I would cycle certain elements through every seven days. And then other elements I would have as completely different, unique elements every day of the month. So prayers of confession, prayers of adoration, there are 31 different prayers of adoration and confession. But reading of the law, I've got seven of those that I cycle through every week. The creeds, I do apostles, then Nicene, then the Athanasian creed in three parts, then the Nicene, and then the Apostles' Creed. So that takes you through a week of that. Mm -hmm. And then prayers of illumination, I have seven of those that cycle each week. Prayers of intercession, 31 of those. And then the Lord's Prayer was just the same every day that I end with. So that's, that's what I put together. And as I say, I find I find it a bit of a renewal in my own uh, devotional life. Yeah, I think that's it's good because we can get in a monotony, you know. Well, just read your Bible. Um, yeah. So that might that might look like, hey, read, read, uh, you know, depending on what plan you're using, may look like reading a whole bunch and then, you know, spending some time prayer or worship. And I think this this approach gives gives uh, readers a better holistic approach you know they get a little bit of everything they get a little bit of bible they get a little church history they get a little you know uh of, of everything they get a better sampling i think in um 
you know, that, that can help with the boredom and like you said, the renewal. So I think that's, I think that's really good. Mm. Well, what role should uh, reading scripture have in our daily worship? Uh, well, I think for most of us, we all know that uh, the day we became a Christian or soon after we we're told you should read your Bible every day and pray. Uh, it's like manna from heaven, isn't it? We need God's help every day to nourish us and feed us in our spiritual lives. And that's what his word does. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, uh, but by every word that God speaks. And so we need to be feeding on his word each day. Uh, I was brought up in a home where it was sort of uh, the daily bread reading. So it was a sort of a random verse every day or just a random passage. And then I started getting into D.A. Carson's For the Love of God and getting into the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan when I was in my early 20s. I found that really helpful, starting to read through the Bible in a very structured way. <clears throat> and then during other seasons of my life, I've just focused in on the Psalms or Job or Ecclesiastes and just been reading through those, uh, cycling through those. Um, so I think, you know, we all think all know that the Bible should be a part of our stable Christian diet. Uh, but what I do in this liturgy is I also bring in the Bible for other aspects of our quiet time. So um, every day the liturgy begins with a call to worship, which is just a verse from the Old Testament or the New Testament alternates each day. And uh, that's just trying to show us that we don't begin our time with God in prayer, or at least we shouldn't. We begin our time with him calling us to worship through his word, just like in church, that a church service shouldn't begin with prayer. It should begin with scripture because it's God who calls us to worship. We don't initiate the worship. So that's what I've tried to do. So you have a, a Bible text that calls you to worship and then a Bible text of assurance of pardon or forgiveness when we confess our sins. I've put that in as well. And then at the back of the book is the McShane reading Bible plan. So you can decide what you want to do. You can take a chapter a day and read through a portion of the Old Testament a year plus the New Testament. Or if you do three or four chapters a day, you can get through the whole Bible in a year. Obviously, that would increase the length of time in your quiet time. I imagine only to about 25, 30 minutes altogether. But um if you just do one chapter a day, it's 15 to 20 minutes. So I think the Bible is used, obviously, for daily reading and feeding us in our Christian lives. But I think it can be used in other ways, like a call to worship and also an assurance of pardon. Yeah, I, I like that because, you know, I, well, I like I like a lot of what you, I like what you said, because, you know, it's not just like we go through it in sequence. Um, a lot of people really, we will know, struggle with that. And I think it's wise of you to point out, hey, I read a particular book, you know, focus on that. I even like to tell people, hey, just read. If you really struggle with Bible reading, just uh, read the book that your pastor's preaching through, you know, not, mm. and, let, and then let your pastor know, hey, I'm just diving into this pastor um, with you. And, you know, that'll really, really encourage your pastor. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's really good. And like I said, it gives, it gives a panoply of options and, and those types of things. Um, not just, okay, I'm just reading my Bible, but this is why um, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. And I think that is a missing aspect. So I really appreciate you, you highlighting mm. that. Um, how does, how does singing solid theology help us in our daily worship? Well, um, Martin Luther, the German reformer, said that next to preaching, singing is the most important thing in the church. And I'm uh, thinking 
he was right in that he says, uh, Paul says in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, uh, speak to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, I think singing songs is a form of education as Christians. It's a form of instilling the word of God in our hearts and uh, embedding it in our minds. And I think singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs is one way to do that. So uh, besides preaching, I think it's one of the ways that the church is edified most. And there's something quite unique, isn't there? Just being a church and singing. I think perhaps during the lockdowns, we all experienced a moment where we either weren't able to gather to sing together, or when we were back together singing, we weren't allowed to sing for a period. And there was something deeply strange about that, wasn't there? And it just did not feel like church, either online or uh, back in person, but not singing. There's something very unique about singing, and it's uh, it's vertical to begin with about worshiping and glorifying God, but it's also horizontal. It edifies each other. Uh, it edifies one another as we do that. So I think that's just a basic principle that singing is uh, an important part of our worship. And I think in our daily worship, it's good to consider singing. And so uh, one of the things I put in <clears throat> on the first day and then of the week, and then it cycles every seven, eight days is uh, the doxology. So that's the prayer of adoration every seven days in the liturgy. And then after the creed, I put in two versions of the Gloria Patri. That is the little Trinitarian hymn, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. And I've got two versions of that that I put in. So I think having a time of singing each day is really important. Um, Gordon Fee said, uh, let me hear you sing and I will tell you your theology. Uh, I think singing also reveals who we think God is, what he's done for us and what Christ has done for us and who he is. And I think our singing actually reveals our theology. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the spirit, uh, singing to one another. I think one of the ways that you can see that someone is genuinely born of the spirit is they love to sing. And, uh, we do that in church, but I guess I've started to try to think about how can I do that in my own quiet times, but also in my family devotions. So as a family, we do our evening devotions after our dinner at night, and we're starting to try to sing the Gloria Patri or the doxology each night. And funny, my my two youngest, Zach, who's coming up to three, and Hannah too, they, we let them wander. They roam around the table or in the playroom while I do evening worship with Ben and Jackie. And then it's interesting, as soon as we start singing the Gloria Patri or the doxology, they come running back in and they want to be a part of it. And uh, so I think having that time in our family worship or daily devotions where we sing is a good way to um, express that we're filled with the Spirit. That's that what you said is so important today because we have most contemporary worship is fluffy especially American. And uh, what, what you're saying is, you know, without even without even going into that is, is so important because, you know, we we not only should be in our Bibles, but we should be responding to that. Right. And with good worship. And and uh, I think what you're saying is, is just so, so important. One thing I do is I'll have I don't necessarily listen to that, but I'll put on hymns and just old hymns. Shane and Shane has a whole collection of them. You know, some of them are very good and, and a lot of them are. Um, 
and and uh you know i also listen to classical music but yeah just having that on during the day you know helps me you know some people can't write or work when they're have music on for me it, it helps me it helps me to stay focused and uh you know my wife wishes my wife also works at home so she would wish that i wouldn't sing but uh, <laughs> you know um or she's like you're being a little too loud um, <clears throat> text me and uh but yeah, I mean, it's it's so it's so important. It feeds our soul. It refreshes us. Um, and and singing good theology is is just it's just so vital for what you said. You gave a brilliant answer. Right? I don't have anything really to add to that. It was it was really good. It was just pract- some practical thing there. I think. Well, it, it's always struck me that God put a hymn book in our Bibles, the Psalter, and it's the most devotional aspect of our Bibles. And it's actually all of them are songs. And so I think that maybe helps to show how our devotional life really should have that singing element or a praise element to it. Even when we're feeling sorrowful and we're grieving or we're feeling lonely in our sorrow and suffering, as many of the psalmists did, they still sung their lament to God. Mm. And I think that having that aspect in our daily or... um, Family worship is important. We do it when we come together as a church every Lord's Day. And that's really what I was trying to do. That's really what I was trying to do. I was trying to make our quiet times a bit more like our church services, Uh, not to replace going to church on a Sunday, not not at all, but rather to make us more prepared for the Lord's Day by doing something similar during the week. And that's that's also so neglected today. We, we, We need that. Really, we do connecting, you know, Sunday to Monday and Monday to Saturday. Um, so, so very good. Well, how does reading the law of God and the word of God contribute to our daily worship? So I put this reading of the law in, I have seven different readings. One, one is obviously the 10 commandments, uh, but the others are really from the new Testament. Um, I have Jesus telling us the first commandment, to love the Lord, your God with all your heart. And the second commandment to love your neighbors yourself. And then I uh, have a number of other readings, the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are those, uh, etc. And uh, what it is to love one another, where Jesus and the Apostle John speaks about, if you love God, then you ought to love one another. Uh, I think what the reading of the law does is it exposes our hearts, our lives, and it says to us, have you lived up to this? And uh, we haven't. And so we need to confess our sins. Uh, so again, you know, I'm sure in our quiet times, we generally did confess our sins. You know, we, dear God, Thank you for this day. Please speak to me now through your word. Please forgive my sins. Uh, or maybe we ask for f- forgiveness after we read his word. Um, but generally, I think we tend to think about confession detached from the reading of the law, whereas historically in church liturgies, confession of sin would always come after some reading of the law, the first two great commandments or the Ten Commandments. So that's the first thing, um, I think, why we should have a reading of the law of some kind at church, but also then consider having it in our quiet times. Uh, The second one is the law is also there to guide us as a way of life. So Calvin, interestingly, in his liturgy, had the reading of the law, but it wasn't just to confess sins, you know, afterwards. It was also to say, Lord, have mercy on us and help us to walk in these this way, help us to keep these commandments this coming week. And so I think that's why the law is there as well in our church services and in our quiet times is to confess our sins, but also remind us what we're actually called 
to be and to do as Christians. And so often you'll find in traditional prayers of confession, there is a confession, please forgive us our sins, thought, word, and deeds. And then it says, uh, and help us by your Holy Spirit to walk in a way that is worthy of your name. Mm. And uh, the prayers of confession in church history actually have those two elements to them. One is the actual request for forgiveness for having broken the law. And the other is a request for help by the Spirit to keep the law. And so I, I see the use of the reading of the law being twofold in a liturgy in church, but also for our own um, devotions. That's that's really good. What role does confession of sin play in our daily worship? Uh, well, I think that's a time for us to get real with God, isn't it? Um, I've put some lovely prayers in from church history that uh, really get to the heart of uh, what we're like as sinners and that really start to expose how we need God to forgive us. Um, I think if, you know, it's 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 9, if we say, or sorry, verse 8, if we say we have not sinned, uh, we call God a liar and his truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for all our sins. And I think that's really what we're doing, isn't it, in church, but also in our quiet times when we confess our sins, we're, we're saying God is not a liar. He is truth and he has spoken the truth that we are sinful and we need his forgiveness. Yeah. And I think going back to what you said earlier about, you know, preparing us for the week or for the Lord's day. I mean, this is really where it gets in. Like if you're going to confess your sin and your need for Christ, you know, and for the forgiveness that he alone provides, uh, then you're, you're probably not going to have the kind of issues where you're going to have to go into your pastor's office or, or your biblical counselor's office. I'm not saying like, you're not going to have any problems. I'm just saying like, you're not going to have any problems in your, in your fellowship with God and your communion with God and uh, you know, those kind of things. And um, you know, you're going to be prepared, be preparing for the, for the Lord's day for communion. And, and that should be every, what I think that most average Christians don't understand is that should actually be every day, every day of your, of the week should be leading back again to the, to the Lord's, to the Lord's, uh, Lord's day and spending time with God's people, you know, and we need that, you know, we need that every, some people can't do that every day. I understand, but you know, that's why we should even maybe be in a small group, you know, because, you know, we need that in the middle of the week, too, or whenever you got whenever they meet, you know, we need to be with God's people. We need the reminders. We need the prayer. We need prayer. We need fellowship. We need the word. We need to gather around the word. And hmm. so I just think I think this this right here. I mean, we talk about confession of sin. I just think that we don't talk about it in in that in that kind of way, like leading. We need it um, to, to help us, you know every day to keep short accounts with God. And, you know, um, I don't know about you, but I need that. Like, cause I, I can get frustrated. And when I don't, when I'm not doing that, I'm, my frustration level is going to quickly go up and that's not a good thing for somebody that used to have a temper, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and, and those kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of a quote by C.S. Lewis who said, time does not erase the fact or the guilt of sin. And uh, I think if we're not daily confessing our sins, we shouldn't think that they're disappearing or being forgiven by God. You know, it's back to 1 John 1, um, verses 6 through to 10. You know, if we can, uh, if we do not confess our sins, then we are calling God a liar. But if we confess them, it's faithful and true. 
it's a bit like dirt in the pipes. You know, if you don't wash your pipes out in the sink and make sure the, the water rinses through the whole pipe um, uh, on a regular basis, over time, that pipe will just get clogged up with dirt and eventually there'll be a backlog and the water will spill out over the sink because the pipes are blocked. But the way to make sure, sure that doesn't happen is to make sure you flush the sink every day with a full thing of water. And uh, I think that's the same. We Our confession of sin is like that. It's it's flushing out our lives of the daily sin that we have. Um, I've seen it in marriages where there isn't a short account kept between husband and wife. And over years of that kind of conduct in a marriage, it it's a bit like a dam. Eventually it just breaks and the marriage is broken. And it wasn't really one particular incident that broke the marriage. It was just an accumulation of dirt, you know, in the pipes uh, that wasn't being confessed and uh, forgiven on a regular basis. And yeah. it's the same with us and God. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I remember sitting in my office thinking, here, I, this is the first few years of our marriage. We've been married 15 years and I'm thinking, Hey, here I am a Christian leader and my leading in forgiveness as a, as a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, immediately I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. I got pretty warm in that room pretty fast. And then I went to my wife and I, and I specifically confessed my, my sin. And she didn't know how to respond in that, you know, to that because I hadn't let in that. Now, now she knows. And, you know, you have to, as, as men, I was just saying something, you know, that this, we confess our sin first to God and then, you know, to one another, but as men, we have to lead in this in our homes. And it's such an important thing, you know, for a husband and wife, like what you said, you can be, you can just, the dam, like you said, can be clogged. And, and this is why we have to just get real and you know, that's really what your wife, if you were to ask your wife, and I challenge you men to do this, ask your wife, Hey, you know, when I, when I apologize to you, how do you want me to apologize to you? She's going to tell you some version of apologizing specifically. And and I, when I preached at a men's men's retreat one time, I said this and they, and they one of the guys said, wait, Dave, just stop there. You're, you're kidding me. Right. And I said, no, I'm not like go home, call, call your wife after we're done with this session and, and ask her if she wants you. And she's going to tell you some version of, I want you to apologize specifically for exactly the same reason, because it shows your wife, right. That you're taking ownership of, of what you did and that you understand what you did and that you're going to, you know, repent. And, um, you know, you don't just say the words, you actually mean the words that you are saying. So Mm. I think what you just said is so, oh man, I I wish that more Christians would get that today. I, I think that we, we would, our marriages would be healthier and our churches would be healthier and, so I'm, uh, you could get, we, we could just sit there and camp on that for like the whole episode. I, I'm, I'm just like really passionate about that. So, anyway. hmm. but um, how important is the assurance of pardon for our daily worship? Well, I think this is where we hear the gospel spoken from the scriptures and from our God to us every day, which we need as we confess our sins. Uh, Again, back to 1 John 1, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to confess our sins, but he doesn't want us to be left in our sins and in our guilt and sorrow over them. He He wants to raise us out of that and give us joy and to use the words of David, restore the joy of our salvation. 
And so that's really what the assurance of pardon is. It's God coming to us, speaking to us in his scriptures and saying, I am a God who delights to show mercy, who is gracious and full of compassion. And uh, I cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, throw them into the depths of the sea. And uh, I put up a sign saying no fishing. Mm. And um, that's really what God comes to us uh, in the scriptures. And so what I've done there is I've alternated Old and New Testament verses that really assure us of God's forgiveness uh, after we've confessed our sins. So good. So good. Well, I know you're pretty passionate about this, this particular question. What role should creeds, catechisms, and confessions play in our daily worship? <laughs> well, I am passionate about it now, but I wasn't growing up. I was brought up in a um, brethren, Christian brethren assembly, so sort of dispensational fundamentalist very grateful for that upbringing. It gave me a real love of the scriptures. But one of the sayings that some of the elders in the church had spoken and unspoken was, uh, we have no creed, but the Bible. Mm. Uh, but then I read a few books that sort of showed me that they just stated their creed. And that was, <laughs> they had no creed, but the Bible. And so it's not really a case of whether or not you're going to have creeds and confessions and catechisms. It's just which creeds, confessions, and catechisms you're going to have as a church. Uh, in the Reformed tradition, these were written down at different points in history. Uh, but um, uh, in more recent times, you know, people still have creeds. They just don't write them down, uh, but like liturgies as well. Uh, so what I've done is uh, I've, well, in my research on Reformation worship, I realized that the reformers, you know, were they were Bible men first and foremost, but they weren't Bible only men. They were Bible alone men. They were sola scriptura, not solo scriptura or nuda scriptura. It wasn't the Bible only. It was the Bible alone as the final authority for all matters to do with life and uh, faith and practice. And uh, what struck me when I did the book with Mark Ernge, Reformation Worship, was that the reformers all had creeds in their worship service and uh, they had the apostles creed or the Nicene creed. And then in the Anglican tradition with Cranmer, they used the Athanasian creed. And so it just struck me that affirming a creed in a church service has been something that the church has done throughout its history since the early church. And uh, I saw the benefit of that. Uh, when I was a minister, I started bringing that into the worship service where where uh, I was a minister in Cambridge, and um, I could see the people really benefiting from it. Uh, I actually introduced the Athanasian Creed in three parts, and we said it for three Sundays in a row. Uh, five parts, actually, because it's so long. Uh, we did a little paragraph each week, and I never had more feedback from congregation members than after those five weeks of saying the Athanasian Creed. Mm. Uh, never had more feedback from saying a creed in church. It was partly because it was new to them, but also because it's so rich and they were saying how much it crystallized and helped them understand the Trinity. Um, so I think they're greatly, uh, they're, they're a great help to us. And um, I've decided to bring them into the daily worship that a uh, liturgy that I put together, because it's just a way to remind us what it is we believe. They're the basic tenets of the Christian faith it's distilled for us in a very short um, piece of writing. And uh, I think they're really helpful. And uh, so that's why uh, I've put them in. The catechism questions are there. They're taken from the Heidelberg Catechism or the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And uh, the idea with this 
liturgy of daily worship is that it's 31 days, but the idea is that you keep doing it every month. And if you do that and you do one catechism question a day uh, throughout the months for a year and you you do the Heidelberg one question a day, followed by the shorter catechism, Westminster shorter catechism, one question a day, followed by the Heidelberg catechism, one question a day, uh, it is 365 days exactly. Mm. So you can get through the Heidelberg Catechism twice and the shorter catechism once in a year. And uh, I think that's just really beneficial for teaching us sound doctrine. That's what the catechisms are. They're question and answers. Um, what is God? And then it'll give a clear statement about what God is. Why did Christ die? And it'll give a clear statement about why he died. It's really teaching us doctrine. It's a way of being edified and instructed in the Christian faith. So that's why I'm a big believer in them. I think if we can raise our children and our families within the creeds, knowing them, it gives them really clear boundaries for what it is they believe of the Christian faith um, and what would be a false gospel if they heard a false gospel. It's a great answer. Great answer. How, how does the practice of prayer for illumination or, or any of the other practices that types of prayer help us in daily worship? Yeah, again, my studies on Reformation liturgies led me to <clears throat> see this particular element in worship that I hadn't really appreciated before the prayer for illumination. Now, we're all familiar with it in church because what happens when we come to the sermon, the minister always says, let's just say a word of prayer. And so he prays. Uh, often it's after he's read the Bible and then he'll say a prayer. Interestingly, in the Reformation liturgies, the prayer for illumination came generally before the reading of scripture and then the sermon, which they were basically saying that we need help to even understand the reading of the scriptures, not just the exposition of the scriptures. So that was interesting. So I think we're all familiar with prayers for illumination. In fact, we all say them, I'm sure, in our quiet times. As we open our Bibles, we say, Lord, please speak to me today. You know, it's just a quick arrow prayer of illumination for illumination. And so we're familiar with them, but actually there were these set prayers of uh, illumination in um the Reformation liturgies. And what I've done is I've taken those seven of them and I've slotted them in for each day of the week. And it's just, again, another time for us to be guided in our prayers um, from someone else in church history as they uh, try to articulate what it is to ask God to illuminate uh, his word as we read it. And then as we're instructed in it. Reminds me of Psalm 36, verse 9, in your light, I see light. And I think that one verse, Psalm 36, 9, in your light, I see light. I think that one verse really captures what the prayer for illumination is. Unless God shines his light on us by his spirit, we will not understand the reading or the exposition of his word. You know, the Oxford University motto is um, Dominus Illuminatio Mea. God is my light or the Lord is my light. And uh, actually it's it's painted on the roof of the Bodleian Library in Oxford in a certain section of the library, one of the oldest parts of the library. If you look up, it's there it is in the little Latin inscriptions on the roof or different parts. Dominus Illuminatio Mea, the Lord is my light. And I, I've often thought of it that the founders of that great university were really saying when you open any book in this library, you really need God's light. To understand that book, uh, I think it captures Psalm 36, verse 9, in your light, I see light. Mm. So that's really what the prayer for illumination is. Yeah, that's really, really good. 
Really good. Uh, why why conclude with the Lord's Prayer? How does the Lord's Prayer help us with our daily work? Uh, well, it's the one prayer that Jesus told us to pray. Um, now, I think primarily it's a prayer for church. When we meet as a church, we should say it as a congregation. Um, you notice all the plural forms in the prayer. Our Father in heaven, um, um, give us this day our daily bread, etc. So it's it's a it's a corporate prayer. Uh, it's also a prayer that I think Jesus wanted us to say and recite, but also it teaches us what prayer is. It begins with adoration. God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then it leads to um, petition and confession. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then it leads to more petition. And then it ends again with seeking the glory of God for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And so I think it actually teaches us how to structure our own prayers as well. So I've put it in every day because I think it should be a prayer we pray every day. Uh, I think it was a set prayer that Jesus gave his church to be said and read um, on a regular basis. And so that's why I've put it in. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. Well, where can people go to to find out more about you online, on social media or otherwise, brother? Uh, not not really anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I, have a, I have a Twitter account. From years ago that my brother and I put together, we we produced a book called, um, we edited a book called From Heaven He Came and Sought Her, Definite Atonement in Historical, Biblical, Theological and Pastoral Perspective. And we created a Twitter account uh, from that, but I, I hardly ever tweet. Um, I use it just to be able to follow some other people on Twitter. So no, there's nothing nothing really about me. I don't have a website. Uh, you can go to the faculty page at Westminster wts.edu and go to the faculty page and you can see some of my latest publications there or writings but other than that i don't i don't have a a website that's also a very good book by the way it's very yeah good. it's it's an interesting it's it was and there's been an interesting response to it i think it sold well for an edited academic volume uh, i think it's over twenty thousand copies have been sold and uh I think it's because all sides were buying it. <laughs> People yeah. who love doctrine were buying it, thinking here's a robust defense of limited atonement. And then everyone who hated limited atonement was buying it in order to critique it, you know, so. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, there's really a lot that we could talk about about these, all of these subjects. I mean, really, you could dive into them uh one, 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 the whole episode could be done on any one of these. So just as we wrap up, do you have any, any takeaways, brother? Um, just that it's important that we spend time each day in God's word and praying to him. Uh, but it doesn't need to be that bland. I think that's what I've learned in the last year and a half during COVID is it can actually be enriched in a really helpful way and keep us more engaged, uh, feed us in a better way than just doing a very simple pray, read, pray. So, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether you use this liturgy or not. It's just that we all need to be spending time with God and coming to him each day in worship and offering our lives back to him again as the God who created us, who redeemed us, and uh, who is our great consummator, who's going to bring all things uh, together in a new heavens and a new earth. 
Well, Johnny, thank you so much for your time today. I really have enjoyed the conversation, guys. Uh, we've been talking today with Johnny Gibson about uh, his book, Be Thou My Vision, a liturgy for daily worship. I encourage you to pick it up and to utilize it. I think that it will help you to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. So thank you, brother, for your time. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.